0: You know, it's really easy to get discouraged when you hear the news and the encounters that we have during the course of the day, but, you know, Frank Sinatra had a song out called, I Did It My Way, but God's kingdom, God's way, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Many intellectuals are asking, when is history going to be changing? Will society get better and better, or will we end up destroying ourselves? Christ prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And someday, that prayer, that prayer you and I often pray, is going to be answered, The first chapter of history will not be written, oh, excuse me, the last chapter of history will not be written by any human leader, however good or bad. Only God will write it. And write it he will. Someday, when the human race stands at the edge of the abyss of self-destruction, God will intervene. It may be tomorrow. It may be a thousand years from now. But the outcome is certain. The future belongs to the kingdom of God. Never forget, if you belong to the king, you are on the winning side. And the hope for today, Satan is a vanquished foe, but he still wants people to believe otherwise. All who belong to Christ are victorious.
1: Nebuchadnezzar, Did that ring a bell? Maybe the most famous king, besides the king of kings. He had a problem with pride and God took hold of him and made him eat like an animal for seven years, like grass. he lost everything, but then God gave it back. And he writes here in Daniel 4, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride he is able to put down. He learned his lesson, and God forgave him. Would you stand with me as we recite the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.
2: Our New Testament scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus and the Apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled, in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That would have fit real well last week. Uh, (laughs) Will you join me in responsive reading? May God the Father bless us. May Christ take care of us. The Holy Ghost enlighten us in all the days of our life. Lord, be our defender, keeper of body and soul, both now and forever, to all the ages, to ages of ages. Let us pray. Father of all, creator of all, Lord, we ask you to bless the gifts that we that you call on us to give back, that they can be give, given freely, and that the, you guide us in the proper way for them to be used, to help others who may not know you come to know you and know what it is, what the true joy really means being part of the family of God. Lord, we lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Things are possible, things are possible.
4: Good morning. Do we believe we serve the God of revival? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We are so thankful that you are mindful to revive your people. It's so easy for us to get our eyes off of what is truly important in this life. And that is sharing your faith so that others may find their way to your kingdom. Father, I ask that you anoint every word spoken from this pulpit this morning for your glory and for the exhortation, the benefit, the admonition of your people. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we ask for and pray for revival, let's make sure we understand what we're asking for. The lost don't need revival. They're dead in their sins. Revival is for those who are already in the kingdom, who think it's somebody else's responsibility to preach the gospel and imitate the life of Jesus. Revival means to revive that which is dying. The lyrics to our video this morning were spot on Come awaken your people, pour out your spirit. All things are possible in you. When we pray for a revival, what are we asking for? Holy Spirit empowerment. We are asking to be awakened to a sense of urgency concerning the lost. Show us slide one, please. A quote from C.S. Lewis. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. Every person we bump into in the course of our day is someone destined for eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Everything we say, everything we do, touches eternity, and often someone else's eternity. Max Locato has said, The essence of Christianity is seeing what Christ is doing, then joining Him. Every person you make eye contact with in Walmart is someone God is working on, working with, someone God is trying to connect with. Will you join Him? Perhaps... All God will ask of you is to give them a kind word and a smile. But go ahead and start a conversation and see where God leads it. A kind word and a smile can open doors to heaven. Slide two, please. From the Gospel of Isaiah. Chapter 65, verse 24. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. What's this mean? It means anything we ask according to God's will, He will answer. He has already answered. He will answer before we ask. But what do we need? What does this world need? Revival. If you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution, then you know what spurred the revival was Christians who were excited about their faith, so excited they had to share. But much of so-called Christianity has fallen asleep in their apostate rocking chairs. We have let the all-consuming flame of the Holy Spirit Dwindled down to embers that are so cold, there's not even smoke. You remember the expression, where there's smoke, there's fire? Not as relates to Christianity today. Not only is there no fire, there's no smoke. The Church of Jesus Christ here in America is more concerned with being woke to a depraved culture then woke to Jesus. The church has become so politically correct that much of the church today is caved to social and political pressure and watered down the gospel because they don't want to offend anyone. But what did Jesus say about that? He said, "Blessed is he who is not offended in me." And what exactly is a watered-down gospel? In simplest terms, it's what we call universalism. It's a gospel that says all dogs go to heaven. It's liberalism, that which does not represent the Bible as infallible, does not represent Christ as divine, and denies salvation by blood atonement, secured by faith in Jesus, by God's grace. They deny all of that. Did you know the term seeker-friendly is actually from the pit of hell? Do you know who is credited with being the father of the seeker-friendly movement? This may surprise you. Robert Schuller, Crystal Cathedral. Did you know the Catholic Church recently bought Crystal Cathedral and spent $77 million in renovations. It is now the seventh largest diocese in the United States. What happened to the seeker-friendly movement? It died a well-deserved death. Half-truths always do. But the Roman Catholic Church doesn't deal in half-truths. They deal in whole lies. And here's a recent quote from Pope Francis. You don't have to believe in Jesus, just be a good person. This from his efforts to organize a one-world religion. Unless we think all Protestants are righteous and guilty of nothing, where do all these so-called evangelical Christian critics come from? Those antagonists who are screaming that the Asbury revival was staged. The Chosen TV series is not based on the Bible. The Jesus Revolution movie is not based on fact. Negative, negative, negative. It's the same mindset as Black Lives Matter. It's all Marxist dissent and just another mask of wokeism. Just another form of cancel culture that says if you don't submit to my point of view, you're an idiot and an infidel. But with so many so called Christians busy giving each other a black eye, why would anybody want to be a Christian? If you go to the YouTube, for every evangelical that has a following, there's an antagonist posting, he's a false teacher. It reminds me of the war between the Irish Catholics and the Irish Protestants in the 60s. Some of you are old enough to remember that. In August of 69, the British government sent troops to Northern Ireland to impose martial law in an effort to end a 33-year war between Catholics and Protestants. The Irish called this war the Troubles. And after 33 years of troubles, over 3,000 lives were lost. Christians fighting each other. 1,600 of those alone were killed in Belfast. All in the name of Christ. The history books are full of countless atrocities in the name of Christ. The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, The Holocaust. And we wonder why Messianics don't like to be called Christians. The Nazis considered themselves Christians. thought they were doing God a favor. Do you know what the Catholic Church did to the Jews during the Spanish Inquisition? I'll say it was worse than the Salem witch hunts. Christendom has committed countless atrocities against the Jews since time immemorial. And now we see anti-Semitic hate crimes rise throughout the world. Does the church need revival? You bet your sweet Sunday we do. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to push back all the darkness in this world. But sadly, so-called Christians are so busy railing on each other, the world can't figure out who we hate more, Satan or ourselves. The world can't figure out what we believe because we're shouting so loudly about what we don't believe, what we will not tolerate. This is not how Jesus did it. It's his job to rebuke the Pharisees not ours. Show us slide three, please. John 13, 34 through 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not preaching. Tolerance, I'm preaching perseverance. You might recall that uh, perseverance is one of those gifts of the Spirit. Slide four, please. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But why revival? Because revival is the absence of intolerance and legalism. Ask me what I remember about the Jesus movement. Yes, I was there. I experienced uh, some beautiful things when I was in Los Angeles going to seminary. Parades of Christians down Sunset Boulevard. But something glorious happened uh, one summer during the Jesus movement. I I remember a church camp in the Ozarks of Arkansas. 300 youth under an outdoor pavilion and the Holy Spirit in manifest presence. I remember a number of people slain in the Spirit. I mean laid out. When the Holy Spirit is in manifest presence, you assume one of two positions. You're flat on your face or flat on your back with your hands to heaven. People weeping with tears of remorse, apologizing apologizing to each other for past indiscretions and indifference, hugging and forgiving everyone to the same mind, same heart, and same spirit. That's why we need revival. I remember later that summer, I uh, had just begun seminary, and my roommate said to me, Ray, when I first met you, I thought you were a saint. I remember you praying with everybody at summer camp, uh, praying with people in the lunch hall. thought you were a saint. But now that I've gotten to know you, you're just like me. What happened? I said, Jimmy, think about it. Summer camp was heaven on earth. Everybody there was seeking Jesus. We didn't do anything all day long, but Bible studies and worship and listening to sermons and teaching. We were all on the same page, seeking Jesus, finding Jesus, living Jesus. And I continued, it's so easy to be your best for Christ in a secluded, spirit-filled fellowship. But the minute you get thrown back into the chaos of this world, things get tougher. But for that one week, we experienced revival. We experienced heaven on earth. Why is revival important? Because that's what we were made for. We were made to live in a focused awareness of the presence of God. Why revival? Because the Great Awakenings are always preceded by the reviving of God's people. The Great Awakenings of a hundred, two hundred years ago, the Jesus movement, they were all preceded by the revival of God's people. When God's people are revived, we evangelize. There's an old maxim that goes like this If your faith doesn't work at home, don't export it. If you can't live your faith in a workaday, going to the grocery store, everyday life, don't try to convince someone they need Jesus. The first place they will look is at your life. And if all they see is religiosity, a mindless sense of duty and no joy, why would they want what you have? If you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. But we can't do that without revival. We need revival every single day of this chaotic thing we call life. This is why I keep preaching Isaiah 30.15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. A lot of the more modern translations interpret that in returning to me and rest is your salvation. It's the same thing. Repentance is returning to the Lord. Repentance and rest brings revival. Quietness and trust brings revival. Your quiet time, just sitting before the Lord, listening to God, brings revival. Why revival? Hmm. Because these are the days that the prophet Joel spoke about. Slide five, please. This is from our Lent readings for this week, Joel chapter 2. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people that does not mean every individual on the face of the earth what it means is every category of people every ethnicity, every culture, male and female all people your sons and daughters will prophesy slide 6 please Verse 28, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants. Do you realize that nowhere in the Old Testament do we find a servant who God made a prophet or a leader of Israel? I will pour out my spirit even on servants, every class of people. This was prophesied 400 years before it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. The last half of that verse is talking about the second coming of jesus that great and terrible day of the lord i believe that in another five years we won't want to be here things are further and further and further out of control i believe we'll see the rapture within the next five years that's how fast things are declining and this is why we should pray for revival. Slide seven, please. Isaiah 30, 15 is the key to revival. We have several keys to the kingdom. We have an entire ring full of keys. But the key to revival is Isaiah thirty fifteen. When we get our hearts right, then Revival comes. Revival has to start with you and me. We don't pray revival for somebody else. We pray revival for us. It starts with us. Repentance allows us to rest quietly in the arms of Jesus. That brings renewal. And renewal brings revival. Slide eight, please. That was your Lent sermon. Sermon number two. Now is the time. Our text is John 12, 23 through 34. Slide nine, please. Jesus replied, now is the time. For the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. What's Max Lucado say? The essence of Christianity is seeing what Jesus is doing and joining him. My servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Slide 10. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. I previously told you that I only thought the Father spoke two times in all of the New Testament. I was wrong. He spoke three Right here. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. You remember me preaching about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist? And the voice came from heaven saying, this is my son, my dearly beloved son. Some thought it was thunder. If you're not listening to God, all you're going to hear is thunder. If you don't believe, all you're going to hear is thunder. While others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now are you thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. He seems to be pretty present today. He will be cast out of your heavenly places. Remember that sermon. Where are your heavenly places? Right here, right now. The moment you walk to your car, you're in heavenly places. You go to Walmart, you're in heavenly places. Because we are raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right now, your eternity starts right now. Your heavenly places are right now. Satan is cast out of your heavenly places. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from Scripture that Messiah would live forever. Our legalism told us that Messiah would push the Romans out of our kingdom and restore heaven on earth. Our ideology told us Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? And by the way, who is the Son of Man? Can't see the forest for the trees. They knew who the Son of Man was. They knew he was Messiah. They have just interchangeably called him both Son of Man and Messiah. They know who he is, but they refuse to believe who he is. They have substituted their ideology of God and his Messiah for truth of the word. Substituting our ideology for the truth of God. Dangerous ground. They've been listening to the false teachings of the rabbis and Pharisees so long they have dismissed the truth. Sounds like the liberal church today, does it not? The liberal church they have rewritten the word of God and reshaped it to fit their agenda have you ever read the JW's Bible I think they call it the world Bible they have literally rewritten the Bible to say what they want to say to say that Jesus was created that he is not the same as God to fit their agenda Every time I encounter a JW, I want to say, why don't you just convert and become a Jew? You only believe in Jehovah, why don't you just become a Jew? But it's no different than the mantra of the liberal church today, just be a good person and heaven is yours. Do you remember how Jesus summed up the Beatitudes? You're here to be salt and light. Slide 11, please. Matthew 5, from the message. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Ephesians 2.10 says this. God the Father creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. The message translates that. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Work we had better be doing. There's a judgment for Christians. We will not be judged in the great white throne judgment, but we will be judged. Back to Matthew. Here's another way to put it, Jesus speaking. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Slide 12. Verse 16. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. Don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the Scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete the law. I am going to put it all together, pull it together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom of God. Do we know there's a great house of God? Do we know that we can take up residence there right now? Psalm 27.4 The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David here is asking for more, far, far more than we think. He's asking for his eternity to start right now. I want to read you an excerpt from Max Lucado's book, The Great House of God. Did you know your soul has a house? Yes, it does. But it's no typical house. Conjure up your fondest notions of what you think your dream house should look like, and this exceeds them all. A grand castle has been built for your heart. Just as a physical house exists to shelter and care for your body, so a spiritual house exists to care for your soul. You've never seen a house more solid. The roof never leaks, the walls never crack, and the foundation never moves. You've never imagined a castle more splendid. The observatory will overwhelm you. The chapel will humble you. The study will direct you, and the kitchen will nourish you. Have you ever lived in a house like this? Chances are you have not. We create elaborate houses for our bodies, as elaborate as we can afford, but our souls are relegated to shanties. We have the keys not only to the kingdom, but to the grandest house in that kingdom. But we choose to relegate ourselves to sleeping on a park bench. We choose to live on the street, ragged and homeless, because we failed to comprehend how the king of the universe could love us, adopt us, and call us his own. Shall we pray? Father God, we would embrace who we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. We would embrace the fact that we are your children we would comprehend that we have been redeemed and redeemed for the purpose of glorifying your great name. I pray that you will resurrect in us a sense of who you are and who we are in you. Father, make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Slide 13, please. Again, in lieu of our benediction, let's review one more question from our 10 questions. Are you alive to Jesus? The question, as you go deeper in God's word, is he calling you to witness to particular people, to a particular person? When I was 18, the Lord gave me a vision. I was coming alive to the Lord Jesus. I mean, when you're a preacher's kid, you you go through ebb and flow, just like everybody else. But uh, the Lord had just called me to seminary. He would called me to preach, and I was seeking the lord with all my heart but i was praying beside my bed one night and typically when my bedroom door was shut i could see the light in the hall i could see the light coming under the door but as i was praying the lord spoke to me and he said you want to know what hell's like He said let me tell you the worst of it it's total darkness and i I looked at the bedroom door and I couldn't see any light. I looked at the windows, I couldn't see any light. It was like, um, what do they call it when when you, it escapes me, but uh, vertigo. It was like vertigo. I mean, if I wasn't holding on to the bed, I wouldn't have known what was up or down. Total pitch darkness. And then he said, uh, and worse than that, you have no knowledge of me. That made an impression on you. As we go deeper in God's word, is he calling you to witness, to share? Because if you don't, that's what people are going to experience for eternity. If you truly have a passion for souls, you won't miss a chance to share the gospel. Because if you don't, those people may never taste the goodness of God. If you don't speak, if you don't share. God's grace is an invitation to be beautiful. Have you ever thought of it that way? God's grace is an invitation for us to be beautiful. Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace, and grace is beautiful. God intends that grace that he gives to you and me to make you beautiful to all you meet. Isaiah 52.2, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, of peace, and salvation. So go out there and be beautiful. Blessings to you all.
2: Kathy says, You may stand. <laughs> <laughs> it's an insight. <laughs> us pray. Heavenly Father we heard your words today from the Old and the New Testament and you call on us to follow you to be your servants to be the the light to show the light that you have put in us. So Lord we ask you to uh, charge our batteries and have us brighten those lights and be obvious to others what you mean to us and how you give us a light and a guide throughout all our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.